Well, my name is Ron Cool, and I'm one of the pastors here as well. Um, I want to say a word of welcome to all of you. This morning we're going to look at what I think is really an important story for us to think about because it gives us a picture of Jesus that I think is essential for us to hold on to. It's a very strange picture that we don't always understand and get right away, but it's one that, that we need to keep coming back to. And I think in our day and age, we need to keep reminding ourselves of, of who Jesus is. This morning, we're going to take a look at what happens when Jesus enters Jerusalem right at the beginning of Passover week in, in John chapter 12. That's the story that we're going to be looking at. It's sometimes called the triumphal entry. Others have called it the donkey entry. And so uh, we're going to take a look at, at this story. But in order to understand this, we've got to go back uh, and talk a little bit about last week. Now, I realize some of you weren't here, um, and I'm not going to recap the whole thing. But, but last week, we talked about the ultimate sign that Jesus did. He did seven signs in the Gospel of John, and the, the final sign, the ultimate sign, was that Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, okay? And, and this was an amazing thing, and there were a lot of people who, who saw it and a lot of people who celebrated it, and, and uh, just some really amazing things were happening. So I want to give you a little idea of where some of this stuff happens um, so that we can kind of have this picture in our mind. Here's uh, Israel. is this side of the Jordan River. You see Jerusalem there among the hills. And Mary and Martha and Lazarus live in a city of, uh, called Bethany, which is just about two miles away from Jerusalem a little bit under two miles away from Jerusalem. That's where Mary and Martha and Lazarus are. That's where Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. And, and we were told that there were people from Jerusalem there in Bethany. And so the word got back to Jerusalem and everybody was talking about this. And there was a, a great deal of buzz uh, going on because of what Jesus had done. All right. So Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. And then there were two results that we talked about right at the end. We kind of often don't go to this part, but this is really important, especially for what's going on this week. The first first result that John talks about is that many people believed in Jesus. When they heard about this miracle, that he raised Lazarus from the dead, many people said, this is the Messiah, this is God's deliverer, this is the one we want to follow. But on the other hand, and this is, we said, why Jesus did this miracle in this way, others decided that Jesus needed to die. He was becoming too popular. Again, you've got to understand uh, at this time that uh, Israel is under Roman occupation, okay? And, and in some ways throughout this sermon, if you think about the Ukraine, if you think about Crimea with Russia there, okay, so that's what's going on in Israel. And, and the, the leaders of Israel recognize that they kind of have a tenuous hold on power. Okay, it's kind of dangerous because if there's too much of an uprising, if there's too much popularity behind Jesus, then, then the danger is, is, is that the Romans are going to just say, we're done with the whole nation. All of you are gone. All of you are going to be wiped out. And, and so when the Jewish leaders were talking about it, one of them, a high priest by the name of Caiaphas, he, he said, look, guys, you've got to understand something. This is the real world. And if we don't get rid of Jesus, then the whole nation is going to be wiped out. And he said these words. John 11, verse 50, he said, It is better for you, better for all of us, that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish, right? So Caiaphas says, look, we just got to understand, if this goes on, if the popularity of Jesus, I mean, he's raising people from the dead, and even if he's not, people believe it. If this goes on, the Romans are going to wipe us out, and we're going to be gone. So it's better to just get rid of this one guy. It's better for one person to die than the whole nation. We said, God has sat up in heaven and said, you got it, Caiaphas. That's what Jesus is all about, right? Jesus came so that he would die so that the whole world could be saved. And so Caiaphas, without pretending to, or without intending to, made a great prophecy there, okay? So some people came to be followers of Jesus. Other people decided Jesus needed to die. In John eleven fifty three, it says, So from that day on, they plotted to take his life. 
Okay, what happens next? Jesus knows it's not quite time for him to go to the cross yet, so he takes a little break. John eleven fifty four. Therefore, Jesus no longer moved about publicly among the people of Judea. Okay, he now kind of goes into just a, he takes a retreat. Instead, he withdrew to a region near the wilderness to a village called Ephraim, where he stayed with his disciples. And you can just kind of see again here where Ephraim is. And Jesus and his disciples went up to there, uh, probably five or six miles away, something like that, up to Ephraim. Okay, so Jesus and his disciples go up there. Now, when it, was pa- when it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, okay, that was the biggest religious festival of the year, uh, when it was almost time for the Jewish festival, many people went up from the country to Jerusalem for their ceremony- ceremonial cleansing before Passover. Okay, the Passover would take place on Thursday or Friday of that week, depending on which group you were part of in the Jewish community. But Passover would take place um, in, in John's view on, on that Thursday. But you would always come early. You would come to Jerusalem early in order to prepare for it yourself and to get the sacrifices that were needed and so on. And so you would come early. So everybody's gathering in Jerusalem, and, and they kept looking for Jesus. And as they stood in the temple courts, they asked one another, what do you think? Isn't he coming to the festival at all? Is he going to show? Is he not going to show? They know. They know what it says next. But the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that anyone who found out where Jesus was should report it so that they might arrest him. So you got a fair amount of tension here going on, right? Jesus had done some pretty amazing miracles. Most recently, he raised Lazarus from the dead. People are saying, this is fantastic. This is the one who can set us free. The Jewish leaders are going, if we have a little rebellion here, we're all going to lose. We've got to get rid of Jesus. And, and so now it's the week of Passover, okay? Now it's the Passover in Jerusalem. Now let me talk a little bit about that, that event, that Passover. Um, for some of you, this will be a reminder. For some of you, this might be somewhat new. But it, it's, first of all, a religious celebration, okay? It was a religious celebration of when God saved his people out of Egypt... And he did it by the blood of the lamb. If you remember the story, the people of Israel were in Egypt, and, and uh, they were there. And, and what God told them to do is, is to, to kill a lamb and to put the blood on their doorposts. And when the angel of death came by, that angel, if there was blood on the doorpost, if there was blood of the lamb, that angel of death would pass over that house. And if there wasn't, he would go in and take their firstborn son. And so that's why it was called the Passover. And so there was this, this deeply religious sense of saying we are saved by the blood of the lamb. We are saved by, by sacrifice and, and, and God forgives us. And so it was a religious celebration. It was also a, a family celebration. People went home for the holidays. And, and, and Jerusalem was where everybody wanted to celebrate Passover. We're going to see by the end of this time that there were people from uh, some Greeks who were there. Uh, there were people from Rome who were there. There were people from Ethiopia who were there. People came into all of, uh, from all over the world and, and from all over Jerusalem. And it was just a family celebration, okay? And, and third, and really important for us this morning, it was also a national celebration, okay? It was, a, it was Independence Day. It was, it was that kind of a reminder, that kind of a celebration of when God brought us out of Egypt, when he got rid of those who oppressed us then. And, and again, Independence Day in an occupied country is always a dangerous day. All right? Independence Day in an occupied country. Think about it again. If you go to Crimea, if they have a, an Independence Day of something that happened 400 years ago, watch what the Russians will do on that day, right? They will be so ready for anything because, you know, it's kind of like, yeah, we were set free then and maybe it's time to get rid of these people now. And so the Passover has all of these three elements of, of religion and family and politics and it's this national celebration. And, 
And, and in Jerusalem, I mean, the population would become five times what it normally was. I've heard different estimates. I don't know. Um, I don't think any of us know for sure from, uh, that it swelled to, some say, a half a million. Josephus, who's actually a pretty respected historian from that time, says it was over two and a half million people in Jerusalem. And so it was, but whatever it was, it was just jam-packed. There are all these people in Jerusalem. It's Independence Day. It's the 4th of July, and, 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 and it's in its occupied territory. Uh, the Roman soldiers are doubled or tripled. They're pulling double shifts. And, and, and so what I want you to get a sense is, is, is this is just this huge mix going on. Okay, you got Jesus. He fed 5,000 people. He raised Lazarus from the dead. The people are excited about that. You got the Passover. That's going on. And that reminds us of how God released us and, and how God redeemed us. And, and so the Passover is approaching. And the Jewish leaders are going, this is not good. This is, this is dangerous time. We are going to be just in trouble because some people are going to try some things that just aren't very smart, okay? And, and again, recognize that if we put ourselves in the, in the position of those Jewish leaders, what they were saying made perfect sense. I mean, Rome had no problem wiping people out. And so it wasn't that they were just sort of anti-Jesus in a small... They were literally, genuinely trying to say, he is dangerous, not just because of our own selves, but the whole nation, he's going to ruin it for everybody. So Passover is approaching, and that's what John kind of wants us to, to be focused on here, all right? So John tells us six days before the Passover, and, and I'm going to suggest that's the Saturday. That's not exactly clear, but on the Saturday, Jesus now goes back to Bethany, okay? Six days, it says in John 12, verse 1, six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, the home of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead, all right? So Jesus and his disciples make their way back from Ephraim, back down to Bethany. Uh, that night, John tells us there's a dinner in Jesus' honor. He's raised Lazarus from the dead, and so, and, and again, I just love this. The, the, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but at this dinner, Mary and Martha and Lazarus, they all have their different gifts. Martha, the practical one, serves. That's what she does. Lazarus, the friend, reclines at the table. He sits in Mary, the passionate one, the emotional one, the lover, anoints Jesus for his burial, though she doesn't even know it. And, and, and I just want to just say, you know, these are three very different people. And what's clear is Jesus loves all of them. Some of us are Mary, some of us are Martha, some of us are Lazaruses, some of us are different. And, and sometimes we look at it, and if you're a Martha, you say, oh, I wish I had that spiritual life of a Mary. Or if you're a Mary, you say, I wish I had that practical life of a Martha. You are who you are. God wants you to be who you are. And, and, and so Martha does her thing. Mary does her thing. They are who they are. And they help each other out. But, but Jesus loves all of them. So they have this dinner together. And, and it's a time of just celebration and, and affirmation. That's on Saturday, okay? Then on Sunday, five days before the Passover, um, a couple of things happen. The crowds from Jerusalem go to see Jesus and Lazarus. It doesn't take long, less than two miles. Word comes out that Jesus is up in Bethany. And, and so lots of people come out to see Jesus, and they want to see Lazarus because Lazarus was raised from the dead. And again, people are getting excited. People are, 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 are believing in Jesus. And so that leads, leads the chief priests to make a plan to kill Lazarus as well, okay? They've already got a death warrant out for Jesus. Now they want one on Lazarus. For on account of him, John 12, 11, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. So on, on, on that Sunday, five days before the Passover, people go out and they visit Jesus and they visit Lazarus, all right? Come on. 
there we go. All right, now, four days before the Passover, on, on that Monday. And let me just tell you, this is a little, a little side note here, but it's really, really cool. This was what was called Passover Lamb Selection Day. Okay, you didn't, when you were going to do on, 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 on um, Passover, you would sacrifice a lamb. You didn't pick up the lamb that day. You picked it up earlier, four days beforehand on that Monday. You would go to the temple. And, and if you think about it, if there's, if there's two million people there, there there's, uh, you know, 20,000 lambs need to be slaughtered because you can only do one for ten. And, and, and so there are 20,000 lambs or so in, in, in the temple. And you go with your family and you pick one out. You select one on this day and you take it home. And the kids sleep with it. And they fall in love with it. And then they say, and this is how much God loves us and we need to love God. We give it back to God and he gives us new life. And, and, but Monday is Lamb Selection Day. And uh, again, they say, Jesus, you are the one. And he is the lamb who's chosen. So it's the day Jesus goes into Jerusalem. And this is what I kind of want to look at, all right? John 12, 12. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. Here's a map of, of the route that Jesus probably would have taken. Um, in another gospel, he, it says he went through Bethphage. We don't know exactly where it was. Again, here's, here's Bethany where Jesus started. And you can see the temple there where Jesus ended. And, and what I want you to notice is, is this point right here that what Jesus did is he went over the Mount of Olives. In order to come into Jerusalem from Bethany, Jesus went over the Mount of Olives. Now for you, you say, I don't care. It doesn't make any difference. Let me tell you why this was hugely, hugely significant. First of all, I'll give you just kind of a picture of what it might have sort of looked like more in Jesus' day. All right. So Jesus and his disciples, well, here, let me show you. This is where the temple would be there in that spot. Jesus and his disciples were kind of here and, and they would have taken a route, something like this, going up and entering that gate that's called the Golden Gate, okay? Uh, and so that's a kind of where Jesus and his disciples would have gone. So he would have been coming down the Mount of Olives. Why? What difference does it make? Why is that significant, all right? Notice this. This goes back to prophecy by, the, by a guy by the name of Zechariah about 500 years earlier. It says this, Then the Lord will go out. Come on. There we go. There we go. Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as he fights on a day of battle. So it's talking about God is going to come and he's going to defeat his enemies. And then look at those words. On that day, his feet will stand where? On the Mount of Olives. On that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives east of Jerusalem. And the Mount of Olives will be split in two from east to west, forming a great valley with half of the mountain moving north and half moving south. Then the Lord my God will come and all his holy ones with him. Okay, so Zechariah, 500 years earlier, says when the Messiah comes, when God's deliverer comes, when God comes to fight for his people, his feet are going to stand on the Mount of Olives. And, and, and so when Jesus is there on the Mount of Olives, that's a significant thing. And I want to show you, just to kind of let you know, that, that the people of Israel today still think about Zechariah's words. This is the picture of, of modern-day Jerusalem, okay? This is where the temple was. It's now an, a mosque, uh, a Muslim mosque. This is where that gate is, um, where Jesus uh, probably entered into um, Jerusalem. Um, interesting little side note here, kind of fun, but um, when the, the, the Muslims actually had control of this part of Jerusalem, it's, you can see perhaps that it's, it's blocked up because the Muslim says no Messiah is coming through here. Um, now again, in reality, Jesus would have gone through a gate 12 or 15 feet lower because Jerusalem was destroyed. And so, but it's interesting, just to kind of, this stuff is ongoing. But what I want you to notice is, is this stuff right here. It's that stuff right there. And, and this is a picture I took last uh, April when I was, when I was in Israel. What this is, 
So these are all tombs. They're graves. They're mausoleums. They're, they're, it's got to be one of the most expensive plots to be buried on. But today, Jewish people and some Christians, but Jewish people want to be buried on the Mount of Olives. It is a great honor because that's where the Messiah is going to come. That's where God is going to come back and he's going to bring, what did Zechariah say? His holy ones with him. And, and so there are all these people who are buried there and all these people who are saying, yes, when God comes back, this is where we want to be because he's going to come from here and he's going to go into Jerusalem. And, and so the Mount of Olives still today is significant, all right? So now we've got to throw that into the mix, okay? It's Passover time. Jesus has raised Lazarus from the dead. He's fed the 5,000. There's all this stuff going on, and, 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 and Jesus is on the Mount of Olives, and people are thinking Zechariah. And the word has gone into Jerusalem that Jesus is on his way into town. And so the people go out to meet him. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. And again, this is such a deeply political shout. You got to understand this. Let me explain a couple of things. The great crowd came out to meet him, and, and they come out with palm branches. Now, for me, when I think of palm branches, I think of where a lot of you just were, Florida. Right? I think of a cold drink on a sunny, sandy beach and all nice stuff. I think of palm branches, I think of peace and nice stuff. That's not what they would have thought of with palm branches, okay? That's not what palm branches were for them. Let me tell you what, what, what palm branches meant. We've got to go back a couple of hundred years to uh, 167 B.C. And a group called the Seleucids at this time, poor Israel has been ruled by others so often, right? This was the Seleucids. They came after Alexander the Great, the Greek guy. His kingdom was divided up. The Seleucids, they kind of based in Syria, but they were in charge of Israel, and they hated the Jews. They were ultimately nasty. They, you know, Jewish people don't eat pork and, and pigs are unclean animals. They would take pigs into the temple and slaughter them and throw the blood all over. They would do absolutely anything to defy the Jewish people and to tell them they needed to become Greeks. In 167, a guy by the name of Matthias, Matthias, excuse me, Matthias Maccabee, uh, started a revolt. And, and just, you know, God's got a great sense of timing and so on. Maccabee means the hammer. So it's uh, Matthias the hammer. Matthias Thor, right? Matthias the hammer. And he starts this revolt by actually killing a Jewish person who was going to go sacrifice a pig in the temple. And he says, we will not allow this. And then uh, Matthias and his followers and his sons go out up into the hills. And this is actually where Hanukkah comes from with the menorah during the time of Matthias, okay? That's when Hanukkah comes from for the Jewish people. It's 25 or 26 years of revolt until finally in 141, Simon Maccabee regains Jerusalem. And look at how they celebrate. First Maccabees 13, verses 51 and 52. For those of you who wonder, this is one of those books that would be in the Catholic Bible, but that we don't recognize as scripture, but we say is still good, and we can still read it, so it's okay for me to read this. On the 23rd day of the second month, in the 171st year, that's 141 B.C., according to our calendar, the Jews entered it, Jerusalem, and specifically the garrison, and with harps and cymbals and stringed instruments and with hymns and songs, because a great enemy had been crushed and removed from Israel. All right? So they came in with palm branches, because that was the symbol of the revolution. And Simon decreed that every year they should celebrate this day with rejoicing. And so every year they would celebrate this day, Deliverance Day, Dedication Day, and they would come and they would bring palm branches. And it was, the palm branches, it, it, maybe one of the best pictures for me to think about with this is think of a Confederate flag. 
Again, some of you were just in Florida. Some of you, at least one of you ran into people who, who you talk to some people from the South and it's kind of just this interesting thing, but you talk to other people from the South and you get the feeling it's not over. The South will rise again and that flag is the sign of it. And that flag, that's what palm branches are, okay? Palm branches are this, it's not over. It's not over, okay? And, and Simon Maccabee regains Jerusalem. Judas Maccabee, his brother, cleanses the temple. And again, how do they celebrate? Therefore, carrying ivy-wreathed wands and beautiful branches and also fronds of palm, they offered hymns of thanksgiving to him, God, who had given success to the purifying of his own holy place, the temple. They decreed by public edict, ratified by vote, that the whole nation of the Jews should observe these days every year. Again, fronds of palm, palm branches. And so they celebrated these events every year with palm branches. They pulled out their Confederate flags and they said, we are independent. We will stand on our own. And they did this even after the Romans took over in 63 B.C. You see, we think of palm branches again. We think of Florida, we think of peace, we think of calm. We think of little kids walking them through church. What palm branches were were a closed fist. It was saying to Rome, I mean, you know, I mean, it, it's just that kind of, we don't listen to you, and it's, we will rise again. And, and, and so these palm branches are not just kind of these nice little cute things of saying, oh, Jesus is fun, and we're riding into town. No, this is, we're going to war. In fact, during this time of the Roman occupation, there were some people from Israel who minted coins, and, and the symbol on the coins is always palm branches. The rebels always use this. This is the rebel sign. This is, you know, the, have you heard the people sing, singing the song of Agri Men, if you've gone to Les Mis recently? But it, it's, it's the mocking jay if you're into the Hunger Games, right? It's the symbol that, that joins everybody together. So the palm branches, what they're saying is Jesus is the king who will set us free from the Romans. It is deeply political. And there were shouts, shouts, and, and they come from Psalm 118, verses 25 and 26, okay? Hosanna. Save us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You are God's deliverer. And then this, blessed is the king of Israel. Just, it's not wrong, but notice something once. That's not in Psalm 118. So they have got this thing going on of this deeply political nature, okay? And they're taking it a step further than, than, than just saying, blessed is the one who comes in. Now we are talking king. And so they got the palm branches. And, and, and so there's this just amazing amazing thing going on of of all of this stuff and so jesus comes over the mount of olives and they're thinking zachariah and the the messiah is coming and it's passover and it's dedication day and they're waving the palm branches and they're saying blessed is the king of israel you are the one jesus you can save us we're going to have us a rebellion and what's interesting to look at is what will jesus do what does jesus do at this moment because you see, the last time they tried to make him king was after Jesus fed the 5,000. And at that time, what happened is Jesus snuck away. Look at what happened. John 6, verse 15. Jesus fed 5,000 people. They said, an army travels on his stomach. You can turn five loaves and two fishes into enough food. You're, you're awesome. When Jesus realized that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Jesus snuck away. So what's he going to do this time? What's he going to do this time? Now they are singing and shouting, blessed is the king of Israel. And Jesus does two things, okay? Jesus does two things, and this is the center of this whole passage and of this whole message. On the one hand, first of all, he continues on. But second, he gets a young donkey to ride on. He gets a young donkey to ride on. John 12, 14 and 15. Jesus found a young donkey 
and sat on it as it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. Now, I don't know if we can understand how strange this was, okay? Let me try to give you, you know, that Jesus, I mean, he's going along, they're singing these things, and he stops and he says, you know what, I need something. And he goes up and he gets a colt, a a, a young donkey, and he rides that in. As I was trying to think about what that might look like today, I want you to imagine, again, um, Crimea. Imagine that there is a, a leader in Crimea who's going to be coming into the capital city and the people are rallying, and they're going. And, and imagine, you know, this is going to be the one. We're going to get rid of the Russians. We're going to get rid of the Russians. And, and, and the people are going, and this leader stops. And he says, boys, I need to ride into town. True leaders don't walk. True leaders ride. And so they're going, cool, what do we got here around? Man, do we got, a, like, a tank? That would be awesome. Or what about a Sikorsky helicopter or a, a, a Hummer, at least a Jeep, right? And their leader is going, no, no. And he goes up to a 10-year-old boy. And gets a stingray bike. And he comes into the capital of the Crimea area riding a stingray bike. You can't imagine it. But that's exactly what Jesus does. That is exactly, my view, what Jesus does. Is he grabs, the, 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 he should have ridden. He should have ridden a war horse. He should have ridden a chariot. Kings come into town that way. But he stops and he says, you know what? And he goes and he gets this. And, and you know what? A, a, an adult riding a kid's bike, you know, their knees go up too high when they pedal, right? Looks almost a little silly. And I want to be full of respect for Jesus. But I got to tell you, I think he probably looked a little foolish riding on this young colt because it wasn't probably tall enough. And he probably had to lift his legs up. And, and, and he's riding this thing. And it's too small. And at one level, if you can pull back, he looks a little bit foolish. And he does it deliberately does it deliberately. Why? Why does Jesus do this? Why does he choose to ride a stingray kid's bike, a 10-year-old kid's bike, into Jerusalem on this day? Because Jesus is saying two things. On the one hand, he is saying, I am your king who will save you. I am your king. You're right. But he's also saying, and this is what we need to understand, I am not the kind of king you think I am. And this is what is the hardest thing in the world, I think, for us to grasp. Because what Jesus wants to say to us this morning is, yes, I am your Savior. Yes, I am your King. Yes, I am the one who will set you free. But I'm not going to do it the way you think I am. Because in reality, I'm not, and maybe you're not all that different than the the Jewish people of, of Jesus' day. Because when I sing Hosanna, thinking, Lord, get rid of my enemies. Lord, get rid of my problems. Lord, set me free from those things. Lord, take care of those things out there and then lift me up. Come in, Lord, and just conquer our enemies. But Jesus doesn't do that. He doesn't ride a war horse, but a beast of burden. He doesn't ride a, a horse that steps on others. He rides a donkey that lifts others up because he is the donkey king, because he is the one who comes for those who are lost and last and least. And he's not going to wipe out our enemies. He's not going to give us power over our enemies. What Jesus says he's going to do is he's going to die for your enemies. And what he's saying by this is, I'm going to also die for you. And, and I think about that. Like I say, so often when I think of Jesus saved me, it saved me from them. And I really appreciate Kevin. I didn't talk to him about it, but he got it right. Of saying, you know, we so often say, what we got to do is get rid of the Romans, get rid of the government. We got to get rid of all of this. And Jesus says, no, first of all, I've got to save you from yourself. 
first thing I've got to do is save you from yourself. I've got to save you from your own sin. I've got to save you from your brokenness. And I'm going to do that on a cross. And I'm going to die for your enemies as well. And that is so upside down. Jesus says, I'm not on a war horse. I'm a king. But I'm a king who, uh, whose crown is a crown of thorns. Whose throne is a cross. And whose power is sacrificial love. It's interesting. Jesus rides this donkey into Jerusalem, and the disciples, they don't get it. They don't get it. They, 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 you know, and I think the people around said, that's a little weird, but go ahead, because we're just, there's a rally, right? It's, it's, a, it's a crowd mentality. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him. You know, John quoted Zechariah 9.9, that, yeah, your king is coming, riding on the colt of a donkey. John I didn't get it that day. I didn't see it. I thought he was going to throw out the Romans. It was only after he was, Jesus was glorified, when he was crucified, did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. The disciples don't get it. And my question for us this morning is this, do we? Do we understand who Jesus really is? Because I still find myself, our world runs just like the Roman world on power. Economic power, political power, voting power. And when I think about solving the world's problems, I think about applying power. And Jesus says the greatest power is death. The greatest power is sacrificial love. Because Jesus comes riding in on a Schwinn bicycle. And he says, this is the kind of king I am. So get up your Schwinn bicycles and, and love your neighbors. And love your enemies. And I think, I don't know if I get it. I don't know if I get it. Because I want Jesus to overthrow my enemies and to wipe them out. And Jesus says, no, I'm going to love them. And that's what you have to do too. <laughs> the disciples don't get it. A couple other things interesting to note. More people go out to meet Jesus. Interesting. Up to this point, when the people went out to Jesus, they believed in him. But now I think John is going, you know, they don't get it. And I'm not sure we do either. But they go out to meet him. Now the crowd that was with him, when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead, continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed the sign, went out to meet him. Just go back and count how many times it says they went out and believed in him. Now they just meet him because Jesus is saying, it's not going to be easy to follow me. And so more people go out to meet Jesus. And then just as Caiaphas, remember, made that prediction, the Pharisees now make a prediction. So the Pharisees now said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look, the whole world has gone after him. That's John 12, 19. Look at John 12, 20. Now among those who went up to worship at the festival were some Greeks. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and said to him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. And the whole world goes after him. Jesus goes into Jerusalem riding on a donkey, and, and, and what John wants to tell us is this. Jesus is the king. There's no doubt about that. He will indeed bring all things under his dominion. He is the king, but he is the king on a donkey, and he is the king who is dying to set us free. And the questions we have to ask ourselves are these. Will we follow the Jesus way? You know, I find myself saying, Jesus, that's really cool that you came to die for us and you rode a donkey then. But now you're riding a white steed, right? Now you're that power. So now we get to destroy our enemies. And Jesus says, no, Ron, I want you to ride a Schwinn bike and let people think you're silly. But the power of love and of sacrificial love 
is what will overcome. Do we really want to follow the Jesus today? Will we believe in the Prince of Peace? Will we believe that it is through Jesus Christ, not through government power, not through economic power, but through the king on a donkey, the one who went to a cross, that he is the source of peace? And then will we overcome with sacrificial love? Friends, like I say, this picture of Jesus, Jesus riding on a, on a young donkey, or if you want to, Jesus riding on a stingray bike. He says, I'm here, and I'm the one who can save you, but I'm going to do it by dying. That's our Savior. Let's pray together. Father, we have all kinds of pictures of you, and we like the ones where you just wipe out our enemies. We're not so sure about these ones where you call us to love our enemies and to follow you not in the way of power politically or militarily, but in the way of power of love. So remind us to ride the donkey in the name of Jesus who gives us life. First, Lord, remind us that you have just reached out and accepted us in all of our brokenness and weakness. And then, Lord, give us the courage to love others the way you love us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.